If you're new here, we have been doing this series where we're talking about uh, we are that church. That usually has a negative connotation to it. People find out where you go, and sometimes they attach a stigma to that. Oh, you go to that church. And I have been trying to get into you a, a spirit of not rebellion, but of affirmation to absolutely say, yes, I go to that church. That's where I go. We go to a church where, amen, where, where, where uh, we've already learned, right, that we're some troublemakers up in here. And last week we talked about how we got some crazy people in here, amen, and, and we've talked about how they prayed in one room and it affected what happened in another room, and, and, and only crazy people do stuff like that, and, and troublemakers do stuff like that, because troublemakers look at a situation and they don't necessarily put their hands on it, they just go, mm-hmm, and then they go into their prayer closet and they expect a great big God to do things that they can't do on their own. And they'll just start troublemaking for the devil. Somebody say amen. Uh-huh. And the reason we do that is because we've been describing we are that church. We are abnormal. Look at your neighbor and say, that's you. Can you do that? Just, yeah, just, that's you. What, what does abnormal mean? Abnormal means we're not what people expect. When they come to church, when you invite people to church, they've got this idea of what church is. We don't want to be that. We want God to blow people's minds. We want to, do, we want to be the unexpected. We want people to come into the presence of God that so revolutionizes them that they want to leave their old life and pursue something that is much greater and much bigger than they've ever had before. Amen? We're that church. And so far over the last two weeks, we've been describing what that church means. I'm going to do it again today and then tomorrow. But one of, one of the blessings of being part of a family is you get to hear testimonies from other family members. And I've been doing this each week, and, and we've, we're going to do it again this week. And by the way, if you want to become a family member, next Sunday, uh, the first Sunday in August, we have at 9 a.m. our expand class. And that is over here uh, in the... Uh, uh, the, the room that we call the rally and if you'd like to come and find out more about us maybe become a member of the church uh, you've got opportunities to get involved in ministry we want you in the family so that's why we do this once a month it's right across the hall and if you'd like to come at 9 a.m. it's it's certainly available for you to come and do that and we'll give you all the information you need answer any questions you have and hopefully get you plugged in to the family but before I get started real good this morning I want to let you hear from one of our dear family members here about what Promise of Victory has meant to their family. What Promise of Victory has meant to me is acceptance. You don't have to feel like you have to look a certain way or dress a certain way that you can come how you are. And I'm usually the guy in a pro wrestling shirt and basketball shorts, but I don't feel like I need to dress any other way. And uh, my family, it's meant everything. It's, it's brought me and us closer to God. It's changed our lives drastically. And uh, I'm just blessed to be here where the truth is preached and not just a watered down faith, but you get the whole good, bad, and ugly of it, the conviction. It's important. We started coming to Promise Victory full-time um, about two years ago. It was right after a hard time in my life. I just lost my dad. Um, he passed away from ALS, and it was a really hard time for me. Um, 
I feel that Promise Victory has been a sense of comfort and peace for me. Just knowing that there was other people around, just, just showing a smile or lending a hug when I needed it the most. Um, we really enjoy Promise Victory. Our kids, they have grown tremendously in the faith. Um, my son recently was in a summer program and they asked him what he, um, how he felt most confident and his answer was being at church. He said this was a place that he was, um, felt that he could be himself and that he had his friends here and that he felt loved. We love Promise of Victory and we try to invite anybody we can to church with us so they can be a part of our family. Hi, my name is Levi Conley and I like coming to this church. My name is Evans and I like playing on the playground. My name is David Conley and I like the way. Like the pray. We love Robin's a victory. Amen. Amen funny story and I just was talking about this yesterday at my daughter's uh, birthday party the day that my family moved here it was so long ago that Phil and his older brother Gary Jr. showed up at the house which at the time was a trailer I'll get into that this morning I hope I'm not too emotional today because I won't be reliving some stuff uh, from the past but they showed up at the at the trailer park to help us unpack and both him and his older brother was still in high school and now they both got youngins running around here that are almost old enough to go to middle school, some of them. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of uh, ironic, the fact that we've been here that long, and I thought I was coming for a three-year assignment. Uh, but more on that later. I'm going to ask you, if you would, this morning, if you have your Bibles, to open them with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. We've been in the book of Acts all three weeks of this series. Why the book of Acts? Well, if we're going to talk about being that church, we ought to go back to that church, the one that started it all, where it all began, and find out how they did things, what they were involved in, and how everything worked out for them. I'm going to ask if you would this morning. We've only got three verses, and for the honor of the Word of God, I'm going to ask you one more time, if you would, to stand. And then I will let you have your seat and I'm going to pray that you don't smell barbecue while I'm preaching. Verse 9 says this, Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, now here's, this is Jesus, the he in this scripture is Jesus. At, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. And verse 11 says, they asked this. Pay attention to this because this is going to be the entirety of my message this morning. This question. Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus... I want to say that again, but I want you to say it with me, okay? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come. I want you to say those three words with me. Will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Why are you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus will so come. This same Jesus 
will so come. Hmm. While you're standing around watching the clouds, don't you know this same exact Jesus will so come. Anybody excited this morning about this Jesus? Amen. You can be seated in his presence. I know in a crowd this size, I've got some people who just love to wait, right? You've got the patience of Job, and you just love to wait, you, right? I mean, I've got some people in here, you love to go to the DMV because you're like, I'm going to get to sit there for an hour and a half. You love it, right? Some of you go to Walmart, and the lines is all the way back to the cosmetic stand, and you're like, this is my people. I found my tribe. I'm just going to wait and wait and wait. Don't you love to go to the post office and the line's all the way out the door? You just love that, right? Go to the bank and everybody is getting checks cashed. Like it's, it, that, that, that's your, no, we, we, very seldom do we like to wait. And if given the option, none of us choose to wait, right? And, and the scripture that we're looking at this morning tells us one thing, and that one thing is this. Even when it's promise to you, often God makes you wait for it. Even when you have his word, even when you've been made a promise, even when you have scripture to back it up, even when God has given you something prophetically, he will often make you wait. Now, now this, this records Jesus' last moments on earth. This was after he had been crucified, he had resurrected. For 40 days, the Bible said he showed himself to everybody with many infallible proofs. And this is his final few seconds on earth. And the Bible says he was taken up into the clouds. Can you imagine what the disciples were going through? I mean, I've got some questions and I haven't ever saw Jesus raised from the dead. I mean, I've seen God do some stuff in my life that's left me going, how did that happen? I, I, I have some questions. When I get to heaven, I've got some stuff I'd love to clear up. And these disciples, no doubt, have some questions. They have some questions about why he let himself get killed, and they obviously probably have some questions about how he rose from the dead. And then if you stood here and watched a dead man who raised from the dead go back into heaven, you'd have a few things you'd like to clear up. Amen? I mean, for them to be standing there slack-jawed is totally understandable. It would be hard for you to go back to work, clock in, and just start doing your daily tasks again if you just watch Jesus go to heaven. And yet, here comes two men dressed in white asking them, why are you standing around watching for Jesus said, what do you mean, why am I standing here? I mean, sometimes we read the Bible so spiritual. Like, like, well, of course, they should just get back to work. Of course, this is what Jesus prophesied. I've got some of you that can't sleep at night if you don't have money to pay your light bill. And these brothers just watch Jesus raise from the dead and then go into heaven. Of course, they're standing around going, what just happened here? And they got questions about how the kingdom is going to be built. Jesus is the only preacher they've known. And now Jesus is gone. He's the one that healed the sick. He's the one that cast out devils. He's the one that had all wisdom. And now he's not here. We just watched him go up into heaven, and he expects us to start a church. He expects us to lead all these other people, and we don't know what we're doing. Nobody's ever been to Oral Roberts Seminary. Nobody's ever went to Lee University. Nobody knows how to do these things. Nobody knows how to put a proper sermon together. 
These guys have their minds blown. And the Bible says Jesus is gone. I'm going to drop some words this morning, as I have every week of this sermon series. The first week, we were troublemakers. No church likes to be called a troublemaker, but sometimes we want to be troublemakers for Jesus. Last week, I told you that we, we need to be a little crazy. And this week, the church really needs to become ridiculous. Uh-huh. And, and the reason I say that is because Jesus is gone and they are left with a ridiculous assignment. They are left with a task that is well beyond what they are capable of doing. They are scanning the sky, and let's be honest, we would be too. They're standing here just looking up into the clouds because they just saw something that you shouldn't see. And these two men come in white and say, why are you standing here staring at the sky? What he was actually saying was this. You have a job to do. I know Jesus isn't doing what he used to do in your life, but his assignment for you goes beyond this moment. He needs you to get busy even though you're facing a ridiculous situation. It's time for you to do what Jesus called you to do. The Bible says that they were staring. So let me drop something on you this morning. They needed to stop staring. The reason these two men in white challenged them was because they needed to stop staring. Can I tell you that sometimes life presents ridiculous situations to you and it makes you so dumbstruck that all you do is stare? No matter how hard you try, you cannot wrap your mind around why your child backslid. You raised them in church, you taught them right, you did the right things, you read all the books, and you cannot understand it's ridiculous that my child backslid. Y'all not going to help me this morning. It, it, it's ridiculous that I didn't smoke and I ended up with cancer. It, it's ridiculous that I did all the right things and they left me, packed their bags, they cheated on me. It's ridiculous that I lost my job and they got to keep their job. How many of you have ever had life just deal you ridiculous situations, amen? Like, like it just leaves you dumbstruck. You're, you're standing here slack-jawed wondering, how did this happen to me? How did this happen to my family? How did I end up here? It is ridiculous that I prayed the prayers, I joined the church, I paid my tithes, I did all the stuff the Bible told me to do, and I ended up here. This is ridiculous. Oh, so none of you are brave enough to tell me that you talk to God like that? You, you, you think you're fooling me? I've been doing this too long. I know some of y'all argue with God because I argue with God. I look around at my life sometimes and I say, I wasn't supposed to be in this situation. This is ridiculous. I wasn't supposed to be facing this in my 40s. This is ridiculous. I did what you told me to do. I sacrificed and I ended up here. This is ridiculous. Does anybody have the guts to say, yeah, I've done that? And yet these two brothers come along and say, why are you staring at the heavens? In other words, he's saying, it's time for you to do something besides stare at it. That the ridiculous situation does not get fixed because you stare at it. The ridiculous situation won't go away because you fixate on it. He says, I need you to do what you're supposed to do. In other words, don't get weary in doing the right thing even when you are facing ridiculous situations. See, Jesus had already told them. 
that this thing was going to happen. He said, I'm not going to be here with you always. You're going to have to carry on. And the very next thing they were supposed to do was go to Jerusalem and wait. Don't stand here looking at the ridiculous situation. Go to Jerusalem and wait. And while you wait, you're going to receive all the power you need to do what you think you can't do. I don't even have time to preach that this morning. He says, wait until you are endued with power from on high. In other words, you don't think you can, and you're right. You assume you can't, and you are correct. But you're going to receive supernatural power when the Holy Ghost comes on you that's going to let you do what you can't do. You can't do it as long as you stand here looking at the ridiculousness of it. You've got to do what I told you to do even when it feels like it's not going to make any difference. And the Bible says that we won't find our answers if we won't follow the instructions. You ever met one of these people that open up one of these furniture kits which is really not furniture. It's a hypothetical idea of what furniture could be. But they open it up, and they think they know better than the people that wrote the manual. So they just start turning screws and putting parts together. And you ask them, did you read the manual? I don't need no manual. And they get half of it built, find out it's backwards. Got to take the whole thing apart because none of it's fitting anymore. What happened? They didn't follow the instructions. Does anybody feel me in here? Uh-huh. How many of you know that we do that with our life sometimes? <laughs> Some of us just jump in and start writing our own story and start making our own plans and start putting pieces where they don't belong. Y'all not going to help me. We start adding folks that shouldn't be there. We start adding positions that shouldn't have ever been part of the story. And then we wonder why we got to de- disassemble and start putting it back together according to the way the book tells us it's supposed to be assembled. Life's funny. Life's funny because... A lot of stuff we blame on the devil and other folks is really our own doing. (laughs) If you're waiting on an answer from heaven, the best advice that I can give you is follow the instructions. If you're wanting a better life, if you're wanting a better existence for yourself, the best advice I can give you is follow the instructions. Go back and read the Gospel of John. You'll find out that they ran out of party juice at a wedding. And they came to Jesus, and Jesus said, go fill up some water pots. They wasn't wanting water pots. They wanted party juice. It is ridiculous. Y'all not going to help me. See, I've tied this whole thing together already. It is ridiculous for me to tote water. Water is heavy. I don't know if you've ever toted water. When I grew up, we didn't have running water in our house, so we had to carry water from other places to get it inside the house. And I'll tell you, at a seven-year-old boy, water is heavy. It is not easy work to go out on a hot July day and tote water. And it makes no sense to follow instructions that don't make no sense. And today's generation don't know nothing about that because they think they know everything. And they just think everything is stupid and they don't have to follow any of the instructions. But when I was little, you didn't dare tell your mom and daddy that's stupid. Because I can still taste the back of my daddy's hand telling me 
that he was right and I was wrong. Y'all not going to help me? <laughs> and, 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 and it's ridiculous to follow instructions that are ridiculous. But Jesus said, fill up water. Because if you follow the instructions in a ridiculous situation, you'll get ridiculous results. <laughs> yeah. He said, go get some water and you do what you can do. And then trust me to do what only I can do. And I'll make up the difference. He told the apostles, oh, you fished all night, did you? And you didn't catch no fishes. Oh, you did what you could do and it didn't work. Well, I'm going to give you another instruction. Go back out to where you used to be, but go a little deeper and do it all over again. And that is ridiculous, Jesus. You are a carpenter. You don't know a thing about fishing. I'm a professional. I've done this before. I know that morning is not the time to go out and try to get fish, especially out in the deep part. It's ridiculous. But if you you follow a ridiculous instruction you'll get some ridiculous results I wish I had a witness he looked at the people in Bethany he said oh you sealed up Lazarus's tomb did you you rolled a rock in front of it because you gave up hope you don't think that anything good can come out of a tomb that's got death in it but if you'll roll the stone away they said Jesus that's ridiculous surely he stinketh by now it is a ridiculous instruction to have me roll away a stone well I tell you this if you have a ridiculous instruction and you follow it you just might see the dead come to life you just might see the things that you thought was over and done come spring forth and come right back to life ridiculous God that's ridiculous you want me to love my neighbor that one you don't know what they did to me you don't know what they said about me you don't know how they treated me. Jesus, that's ridiculous. You want me to go home and love that man after he talked to me? Oh, it got quiet in this mortuary. I will not go home and be sweet to that man. Did you hear the way he spoke to me? That's ridiculous. Sure is. It sure is. It was also ridiculous for him to look forward to coming home from work after the way you greeted him the last 27 years oh did you hear how quiet my whole every woman in this church just transferred their membership it's ridiculous Jesus that you want me to love them when they don't love me back follow instructions even when the instructions are ridiculous because ridiculous following is the only way to see ridiculous results ridiculous obedience is the only way to see ridiculous outcomes second reason he didn't want them to keep staring was they needed to start praying for what they were looking for what had Jesus told them he said go into the upper room and wait for the Holy Ghost Standing there looking at the ridiculous situation was not going to get them the Holy Ghost. I'm going to go one step further and say this. It would have been real easy for them to say, why do we have to pray for something Jesus already promised us? 
He already promised us that we would be endued with power from on high. So why should we go into an upper room and start praying for something if he already promised? Jesus promised me a good marriage. Why do I got to pray for it? Jesus promised me a great job. Why do I got to pray about it? Jesus promised me my whole family would be saved. Why should I go lock myself in a chamber and pray about it? See, we often forget the importance of prayer in our moments of waiting. It seems ridiculous for me to tell Jesus what he already told me. Hey God, your word said. Hey God, your word decrees that if I get saved, you'll save my whole house. Like God don't know he said that. It seems ridiculous for me to remind him of what he already told me. But if I want what the book says, i got to be ridiculous enough to walk around and tell everybody I know, I know you don't see the fruit in my life, but I'm just ridiculous enough to claim it. Even if it ain't in my account yet, even if I haven't got the judgment yet, even if I haven't got the settlement yet, I'm just dumb enough to reclaim that the book is ridiculous and I'm a ridiculous believer that whatever he tells me, I'm going to tell everybody. Uh-huh. Some of us, some of us are waiting on a lot of things that are important to us. You're waiting on a believer to come. You're waiting on a son or a daughter to come back. Keep praying. Some of you are suffering with illness and you're waiting for a healing. Keep praying. S- some of you have lost the direction and the fervor and the faith that you used to have. Keep praying. Sometimes we forget how important it is for just keep praying. The third reason they needed to stop staring was because they needed to get ready for his comeback. This same Jesus that you see leave, this same Jesus that you watched leave and you are standing here, you are standing here just staring at the sky because you saw a ridiculous thing happen, This same Jesus is going to come back. So you need to get ready for his comeback. Can I tell you that if I went to heaven, like Jesus went to heaven, I wouldn't want to come back. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous for you to think anybody went to heaven and cause you cried at their funeral, they want to come back. I know they loved you. They did. They thought the world of you. But heaven is a whole other thing. And those of us that make it there don't miss nothing that we left here. We just want what's here to make it up there with us so they can experience what we experience. Somebody say amen. God never intended for you to live here forever. He never intended for this. This is not your destination. He's got a better place for you. Somebody say amen. As a matter of fact, let me just paint a picture for you. Imagine the most beautiful sunset you've ever seen. Imagine the place that you love to vacation the most in the whole wide world. That place don't compare to heaven. I'm talking about the most beautiful landscape that you have ever laid your eyes on and you would love to sit there on that beach and look at that blue water until Jesus comes back. I promise you, once Jesus comes back... 
you would not want to go back and put your toes in that sand because the Bible says that everything that you know and everything you have experienced God made it all in six days if you think what you saw in Florida on the beach was beautiful imagine what heaven must be like because Jesus has been building your house for 2,000 years and if he did all of this in the span of six days what must heaven look like so, so, so the Bible tells us that God has prepared heaven for everybody who loves him. Hebrews 11 and 16 puts it like this. But they were looking for a better place. Say a better place. Uh-huh. I don't care how nice your home is here. Heaven is a better place. A heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Can I tell you that heaven is not a reward because you did good? Can I tell you that? Heaven is a natural result of you being God's family member. God wants you in his house, and heaven is where he lives. So he don't want you living outside. He don't want you living like a squatter, and he don't want you to live like your homeless orphan. He wants you in his house. He is your father. There'll be, there'll be some things in heaven that is hard for us to understand. The Bible says there's no sin in heaven. You and I don't know what it's like to live in an existence where there's no sin. The Bible says there's no darkness in heaven, and yet there's no streetlights. I don't know how some of y'all are going to know when it's time to come home. Because you waited for the streetlights to come home to run back to the house, but there's no streetlights in heaven. As a matter of fact, it's never dark there because the Lamb of God is the light of the city. Oh, you know what else is not in heaven? There's no Facebook. And the reason I say that is because there's no loneliness in heaven. And most people are on social media because they're lonely and they're trying to add pieces to their life and they can't get it from the people that's around them so they existentially try to plug in other folks that aren't even around them. But you won't need that in heaven because the Bible says that you will dwell with the redeemed and that God, will, His presence will be with you always. Oh, there's going to be no banks in heaven. There'll be no Walmart. Because the Bible says there is no lack, there is no need. Every need will be supplied so you won't have to do any self-checking at Walmart and you won't need a bank card in heaven. This same Jesus. Say, say, that, say that out loud. This same Jesus. This have you ever paid attention? Have you ever paid attention to phraseology? This same Jesus. You know what that indicates? Prior experience. Prior experience. I can't say this same Jesus if all I know is a Jesus you know. If I'm going to say this same Jesus, it means that I personally have experienced Jesus. And I have felt what he can do. I have seen his power. And I know 
that what he did then, by God in heaven, he is capable of doing. Woo! I'm not waiting on a different Jesus. I'm not waiting on some watered-down version of Jesus. I'm not waiting on a weaker version or another updated 2.0 Jesus. This same Jesus that did it before is going to do it one. Woo! This same Jesus that raised Lazarus, this same Jesus that fed the 5,000, this same Jesus that spoke to the wind and, and rebuked the waves and they laid down, that same Jesus, that same Jesus that has been there for me in my midnight hour, that same Jesus that had a, was a friend who sticks closer than a brother, that same Jesus that changed my life, that same Jesus that made a way where there didn't seem to be a way, that same Jesus that spoke the words of life into my dead places and caused stuff to spring back up, that's same, that same, that same. I'm not supposed to get this excited on Sunday morning. Calm down, Bishop. Don't calm down. Don't you cheerlead me. I'll start jumping off the stage. This same. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous for me to think a dead man talking to me out of a 2,000-year-old book. It's ridiculous for me to think that I can follow the rules of a 2,000-year-old book written by a dead man. And that's what the world wants me to believe. And that's what they tell me constantly. It's ridiculous for you to be trying to tell people how they can live and who they can love and who they can marry and what they can do and you're basing your rules off of a 2,000-year-old book written by a dead man. And when they say that to me, I say, you're right. It's completely ridiculous. It is abnormal. And if I was like you, and I believed that this book was 2,000 years old and was written by a dead man, I also would think it was ridiculous. But the truth is, the book is 2,000 years old, but Jesus is very much alive. And the problem I have is that death couldn't hold him and the grave couldn't keep him. And I'm standing here today decreeing and declaring that where he went, he's coming back to take me and I will be with him there also. Jesus is alive and it's ridiculous to say it. So we're that church. We're that church where we don't just have real good, feel-good messages. We tell you that you serve a living Savior who loves you so much he laid his life down for you but had the power to take it back up again. And he's waiting on you so he can snatch you out of death's grip and take you where he is. Does anybody get excited about heaven anymore? This same Jesus will so come. Look at your neighbor and say, He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. And, and let me put a twist on it. Because we think that when Jesus comes, it's just going to be when the sky splits and the trump sound. And there's a shout from heaven and a voice from an angel saying, come up here. And we know that's true. First Thessalonians 4 tells us that the rapture's going to happen and we're going to be snatched up and be together with him in the air. 
But can I tell you something? As a pastor who loves people, you don't have to wait to heaven for Jesus to come. Jesus is coming to some of y'all right now. Some of you, while you sit under the sound of my voice, Jesus is coming and he's walking the aisles and he's wanting to touch your infirmities and he's wanting to heal your sickness and he's wanting to bring you out of a dark place and show you the marvelous light. Some of you, while I'm preaching this message, have been wondering how long that you were going to be stuck in an addiction and you pray that, that you don't die the next time you take that hit. I'm here to tell you that Jesus can take that taste away from you and heal you and make you whole. I'm telling you that people that are struggling with sexual lust and perversions and you think this is the way God made me but God will walk the aisle and touch you one time and completely revolutionize your life Jesus will come to you right here right now and do what only so we're that oh you're that church you're that ridiculous church that thinks that God wants us to be holy no God don't expect you to be holy he tells you be holy like I'm holy. In other words, I'm going to put something in you that will make you be able to do something you couldn't do on your own. Because following rules will never make you holy. Following orders will never make you holy. But falling in love with Jesus and accepting Him and receiving that Holy Spirit and letting Him have total control of your life, that makes you holy. It's ridiculous. This preacher's ridiculous. I am. I'm proud. Because before I was part of that church, I was that preacher. Most of you don't know this. Because there was only 13 people when we came here. Most of you don't know that we've seen things that are ridiculous. We've experienced things that are ridiculous. We've watched miracles happen in the sanctuary that were ridiculous. Oh yeah. And in case you didn't know it, you're sitting in a ridiculous building this morning. Many, many years ago, many, Sunday morning service was over. We were standing out in the parking lot. It was me and some of the brothers of the church. We were standing out there. We hadn't even put the steeple on the building yet. We certainly had not built the back parking lot. I hadn't built the barn. The, the, the hillside was still there. Hadn't cleared any of it out. Hadn't moved an ounce of dirt. And I was standing in that parking lot on a Sunday morning and some of the brothers was around me. And I started telling them these plans I had. Ridiculous stuff. Like one day we was going to have to make changes to the building to get all the people inside because what God was going to do wouldn't hold all the people. And how we would have to somehow, someway come up with another parking area because the 20-some parking spots we had weren't going to be enough. That God was going to use us to have seven day a week ministry there. And that there was going to be people there every day of the week meeting needs for God's kingdom. And I was telling these brothers. And one of the old timers that had been there a lot longer than I had looked at me and said, 
You're just not realistic. Now, now listen. I was young. I didn't have any experience at building nothing. I, I knew that what I was proposing was ridiculous. And it was ridiculous to anybody who thought I was planning on doing it. But the thing is, I wasn't talking about what I was going to do. No, no, no. See, when this brother looked at me and says, you're, not, you're just not realistic. I went home and wrote it in a journal, and I still have it to this day. I know what time it was. I looked at my watch. I know what date it was because I looked at the calendar. I wrote it down and said, I was told by this brother that I was not realistic. And I did not rebuke him. I did not get angry. I looked him as cordial as I could and said, thank you. I said, you're right. I'm not realistic. I'm probably ridiculous. But you have to understand, I had moved my family five and a half hours away from our family to a place that did not even have a house for us to live in. And we pulled a single wide mobile home from all the way down there to all the way up here for us to live in. And the last thing I intended to do was be a normal preacher, pastor in a normal church, in the middle of nowhere, and going nowhere. I refused to be normal. I wanted to be ridiculous because if God was going to make me go through ever that, God was going to do something ridiculous in my life. Look what the Lord has done. I was expecting Jesus to show up and do ridiculous things. And if you ever wonder about what he's done here, it's because I wasn't about to be normal. Folks, I'm glad we go to a church that still thinks that Jesus makes a difference. That if we will just let him into our lives. See, not every church wants Jesus in the middle of it because Jesus comes in and flips tables sometimes. So every church don't give room for the Holy Ghost to move. Because when the Holy Ghost moves in, he says, yeah, I don't like that painting you got. It's got to go where I'm going. You can't invite the Holy Ghost to come and live inside of you and him not do some redecorating. And you can't let the Holy Ghost take rule of the church and him not do some redecorating. So he'll check some attitudes and he'll check some sins and he'll make sure that the place is clean before he moves in. That's what makes us a ridiculous church. Because in the age of inclusion and acceptance and everybody wants to be uh, uh, petting people down and rubbing people up we still point to the cross and say that's our standard and feelings don't matter as much as the word of God matters and I'm going to end with this because some of you have ridiculous problems in here some of you have ridiculous situations can I, can I tell you that things that you run away from, Jesus walks right into. Your ridiculous, scary, overwhelming circumstances don't bother Jesus a bit. He walks right into what you are trying to leave. There's a paralyzed man in the book of Mark 
who couldn't walk. And Jesus looked at him. Jesus did not put oil on his head. He didn't speak in tongues. He didn't make him fall out on the floor. He didn't get four prayer partners to prophesy over him. He didn't call uh, for, for the, the elders of all the cities to come. He looked at him and told him to do something that was ridiculous. He said, take up your mat and walk. And that brother had a choice to make. Do I fall into my ridiculous mindset that limits me to what makes sense to me? Or do I trust the word and the promise of a ridiculous God that challenges what I think I can do? And if Jesus says it, that makes it so. I wish I had some ridiculous people in this church. He gave him a ridiculous challenge. And I'm sure he's saying to himself, don't he know I'm crippled? Don't he know I've tried and failed before? I tried to get up and do this. That other preacher laid hands on me and it didn't work. But the Bible says that if Jesus calls you, can anybody hear the Lord calling them to some ridiculous things in this church? Does anybody in this ridiculous church hear the voice of the Lord calling you to ridiculous things? Well, I want you to know that if Jesus says you can, you can. It should not matter whether the bank account says you can. It shouldn't matter whether the boss says you can it shouldn't matter if your husband or wife tells you you can if you hear the voice of the Lord telling you to do what only he can do in your life it might sound ridiculous but church if he says you can you I'll go one step further go over and read the gospel of John chapter 8 and you'll find a woman called in something that she couldn't quit a woman caught in the act of adultery. You know the story. They bring him to Jesus. They want to challenge Jesus. They didn't care about justice. They didn't care about that woman. What they cared about was putting Jesus in a bind to where he was going to have to rebuke the law of Moses or he was going to have to break the law of Moses. They, they wanted to use this as an example to get Jesus broken in his theology. And what Jesus did was get down on one knee and start writing in the sand scholars have debated and we've made jokes for years about what Jesus wrote in the sand but all we know is this from the oldest to the youngest they dropped their stones and walked away until when Jesus finally got done writing in the sand he looked up hey girl where'd your accusers go she said I have none Lord he said neither do I condemn thee and then he told her something ridiculous I don't condemn you for what you've done we're not perfect we make mistakes Jesus said I don't condemn you for what you've done but I'm about to give you something ridiculous go and sin no more we don't know what this young girl did when she left Jesus. We don't really know what she was doing before she met Jesus. But I know that he gave her a ridiculous command that day because every one of us are sinners. Every one of us have issues. Every one of us have flaws. And he told her to do something that some of you are sitting here this morning convinced that you can't. Some of you have addictions and you're convinced, I can't quit. 
Some of you have lust issues and you're convinced, I can't quit. Some of you have problems in your marriage and you're convinced, my marriage can never be fixed. Some of you have problems in your relationships and you're convinced, I can't ever. But I'm here to tell you that God doesn't tell you to do something unless it's possible. That when he gives you a ridiculous command, if you'll follow his ridiculous instructions, you can receive a ridiculous outcome. I wish I had somebody in this church that believed in a ridiculous move in God. This same Jesus is coming. Come, coming to you. Coming to your house. Coming to your neighborhood. Coming to your marriage. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous to ask blind eyes to see. But when Jesus says you can't, it is ridiculous to think a dead man can come out of a tomb. But when God's voice calls, even death can't hold Lazarus back. Walls of cities don't just fall down on their own. That's ridiculous. How are we going to infiltrate Jericho, God? You want us to just march around the city for seven days. And by the way, not talk. Well, that just knocks out most church folk right there. Because they had to march around these walls and not talk to each other. Not complain about how dusty it was. Not complain about how hot it was. They just had to walk. That's ridiculous. Ain't God going to send a tank or a dragon or something? I mean, what's God going to do? He's going to just make us walk around these walls and expect Jericho to just let us in? It's ridiculous. But the more ridiculous instructions you follow, the more ridiculous results you get. We, we, look, at these, we look at these disciples. We're so judgmental. They're in that boat. They see Jesus. Storms raging, they think they're going to drown. They look out, they think he's a ghost. Peter says, Jesus! Hey boys, I think it, I think it, I think it's Jesus. No, it's a ghost, Peter. You don't understand that in those days when they saw a ghost, legend was that sailors thought if they saw a ghost, it meant the ship was going down. So these boys thought they were dying. When they saw that ghost, they said, Well, that's it. We're done. Peter gets on the bow of the ship and says, Jesus! Jesus, is that you? If it's you, Jesus, tell me to come. Because I don't want to be in this boat. I'd rather be with you. And Jesus didn't give him a class. He didn't throw him a life preserver. He says one word. You look at them and you are so judgmental about how oh, they, or they should have had greater faith. Are you kidding me? All Jesus does is says, come. The storm is raging. The wind is blowing. The waves are crashing. They think their ship's going down. This is not just some little uh, leisurely stroll by the pond. They think they're dying. Come. And it's ridiculous. Ridiculous to think a man can walk on the water. Absolutely ridiculous for Peter to ever take one step 
over the edge of that boat. Ridiculous. But ridiculous obedience to ridiculous instructions brings ridiculous results. So where are all my people this morning that are facing ridiculous challenges? Where are you at? Where are all my people that have prayed a ridiculous amount of time and nothing seems to be happening? Where are you at? Because I've got good news for you. Somewhere, no matter where you are, you're not very far away from one of the promise of victory's very finest ridiculous people. No matter where you are in this room, there is somebody in your row or in your section who operates in ridiculous faith. And you've come here this morning and you are facing ridiculous odds and you are struggling against ridiculous problems and you are facing ridiculous amount of stress and anxiety and you've got a ridiculous size problem but there's somebody near you this morning that knows that your ridiculous problem is no match for a ridiculous God that we serve. And catch this, they also know that this same Jesus is coming. This same Jesus that healed the sick and open blinded eyes, this same Jesus is coming into this room right now and a manifestation of ridiculous power is about to hit somebody's life right now. And if that's you, I want you to stand to your feet. If you have a ridiculous problem that only Jesus can solve, I want you to stand to your feet. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to lift your hands to heaven. Because this same Jesus who did it for them is going to do it for you. And I don't know what the devil's been telling you this week that you can't do. I don't know what the devil's been telling you over the past few years that you can't let go of. I don't know what the devil's been telling you that you can't be healed of and that it would be ridiculous for you to believe that you can. But I'm here to tell you that if Jesus says you can, you can. Every person in this room that you believe you have a ridiculous kind of faith. Here's what the Bible says. If two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. There's good news for you. You're in a room full of ridiculous people. Now some of you in the past, until I preached this message, if I would have invited you to invite the ridiculous folks over, you'd say, no, I don't want nothing to do with ridiculous people. But I'm here to tell you, you need ridiculous people. You need some ridiculous faith-believing, enormous Holding, promise, fearing, ridiculous people. And if you're one of them people sitting in one of these sections and you see somebody standing near you or you're standing beside of somebody else, why don't you just grab a hold of them and say, I'm believing with ridiculous faith. Something's happening right now. I'm not talking about later. I'm not talking. Before your lips taste this barbecue, I want to see something ridiculous happen in your life. I want you to lay hands on somebody. I want you to touch somebody. I want you to believe with somebody. I want you to know that ridiculous things are heading your way. Where's that brother? I'm going to pray for his wife. Where's that brother? I'm going to pray for his wife.